Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a, t- uh, to a town in the hill of country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Vine community, it's good to be with you this morning. I so wish that we were here together at Murphy Hall, uh, but we're grateful to be able to, to be with you wherever you are. Uh, especially, I'm, I'm excited about today because we have a guest preacher. Scott Erickson um, is an author and illustrator who we've been following during the season of Advent. We've been reading through his book, Honest Advent, uh, as a community, and it has been incredible. It's been so life-giving for me personally, and it's a joy to have him here with us. Scott, among other people, have moved from the West Coast to Austin. I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but recently celebrities like Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, Scott Erickson have all made their way. And I have noticed that Scott was the first one. Actually, in and out was the first famous thing from the West Coast to come to Austin, and Scott seems to follow in and out But regardless, I'm excited that he's here with us. Uh, so, um, Scott, come on over here as uh, we're excited to hear from you. Hey, it's great to be with you all. Um, I was actually having a moment of joy to myself, imagining you all and doing the percentage-wise about how many of you have not got out of your pajamas, how, how many of you have not put on deodorant today, and how many of you might possibly just still be in bed watching this on your phone. So greetings to you. I'm glad you're comfortable. Uh, I'm glad to be with you all uh, under weird circumstances. Um, I got all dressed up for you, um, so that's what I did this morning. Today we're going to talk about assumptions and uh, what comes on the other side of assumptions. Did you know there are many assumptions about the Christmas story? It's, it's assumed that Mary rode on a donkey, but it doesn't mention one in the Bible. It's assumed that there was an innkeeper, but it doesn't mention an innkeeper anywhere. It's assumed that there were three magi, but it doesn't give a number of how many there were. It's assumed that there was a star overhead when Jesus was born, but it doesn't say that either. It's assumed that Jesus was born in a stable, but all it says is that he was laid in a manger, and that could have been any number of places. See, 
Uh, there are a lot of assumptions about Christmas, and some are helpful and some are not. Uh, assumptions, a definition for assumptions is limited conclusions. So our calculating mind is trying to figure out what's happening, and with very little resources or information, it's constructing a story. And so we assume a lot of things about things that are going on in the world. And the incarnation story is no different. It, there's not a lot of passages or in the scriptures about the incarnation story, maybe like three chapters total, if you took all of it. And so uh, with years of tradition and low budget church pageant shows, we've kind of constructed this narrative and given a lot of assumptions to Christmas. Uh, there are a lot of assumptions in spirituality as well. And the assumptions that stop working for us and actually fail us are the assumptions we make about who this is supposed to happen to, what's it supposed to look like, and what is it supposed to do for us. And you may maybe know some of these assumptions. They sound often like, here's some assumptions you've come across. Uh, you should be more than you are now to be pleasing to God. Your weaknesses are in the way of God's plan for your life. Your lack of religious excitement uh, disqualifies you from divine participation. You're probably not doing it right. Other spiritual people have something you don't have. So our assumptions can hinder our spiritual journey in all kinds of ways. And the good news is, is that there's an antidote to assumption. And that antidote is surprise. It's a surprise of the surprise in Mary's day of Jesus' incarnation looks a lot similar to the surprises in our life that happen in our humble uh, situations, our lack of resources, our overcrowded lodging, and our unlit night sky. Today's scripture that was read uh, is a passage that actually has some assumptions that we kind of overlook. It's a very small passage, but I think there's some things that I'd like to pull out of here. So, uh, Mark, so uh, romantically and theatrically read that passage of scripture. And we know that this angel is announcing to Mary that there is going to be this divine birth, this divine pregnancy within her. And uh, not only that, but her relative, her elderly relative, like way past menopause relative, is also pregnant. In fact, six months in. And that all sounds fantastical. And so then the angel leaves. And what does Mary do immediately after the angel leaves? Well, she packs her bags and she goes visit Zachariah and Elizabeth. Probably for a few reasons, but one, maybe just to corroborate if what the angel said was true. Like, I got to go see if my elderly relative Elizabeth is pregnant. And then maybe also is that when you've gone through an exceptional experience, you want to find other people who've gone through one too. Uh, like an angel appeared to Mary and gave this announcement of divine uh, inception, divine incarnation, like, and then the angel left. And Mary was irrevocably changed, but nothing around her had changed. And when you've transformed and nothing else has transformed around you, that place can be incredibly lonely. It can be incredibly lonely. Uh, after high school, I uh, was invited by a friend to come and work in France. I lived in Strasbourg, France uh, for a year. Uh, and I worked there. I studied French. I'd made friends. I learned 
how to eat escargot. I grew to love stinky cheese. I bought a beret. All the things, you know, I, I wrote love letters to Gerard Depardieu. Do you get what I'm saying? I lived in France for a year. And then when I came home, like having been transformed from this experience, I came home and everything else had stayed the same. I know not everything had stayed the same, but it looked like it did. And my friends were like, hey, good to have you back. How was it? And I was like, it, it, it changed my life. And they're like, cool. Well, you want to go to a movie? Right? Like they had no way. They didn't understand how to talk to me, nor did I know how to talk to them about it either because I had gone through an exceptional experience and I felt very lonely in having been so transformed and not sharing that with anybody. It was only till later on that I met other people who had traveled, lived in other countries, that I could let down the aloneness of that experience and share in the solidarity of a, of a shared experience, of a shared transformation. This is why reunions happen. This is why vets get together and talk about like their experiences. And like when I say vets, I mean soldiers, although I think like, you know, animal doctors, they probably get together and talk about their horse and dog situation. I'm sure whatever they talk about at veterinary uh, conventions, <laughs> they have a shared experience, right? It's helpful to talk to others. It's, it's helpful to talk to others who you've been in a, who have also been in a unique experience with. Like Mary probably just went to Zachariah and Elizabeth because she needed to talk to somebody else who had, <laughs> who had seen an angel. Because how weird of an experience that must have been. How lonely she must have felt to having such a transformational experience. I think about this like pandemic we're in um, and that a, a major uh, product of this pandemic is how much loneliness we're experiencing. And yes, it's because of this distance that we're asked to do, the social distance, this mask wearing, the stay at home. And, you know, if nobody has reminded you lately, uh, it really sucks. It's my least favorite time uh, this year. But uh, so there's this loneliness because we're more distanced and cut off from each other than ever before. But I wonder if there's another aspect of our loneliness, which is this, is that we're all going through an exceptional experience and we're all being transformed in some ways. And the ease that we used to have of talking to one another about what's transforming us is kind of, it's being hindered. And we haven't really like talked about it. Maybe you do. Maybe you've been like, what's going on? What are the plans? What are your safety protocols? All this. But how often do we get to the spot, which is just like, what's hey, what's happening to you? Are you okay? What's going on? What's transforming in you? And look, we are a culture that loves to succeed and overcome. We have all of our great like self-help gurus being like, we're going to overcome. We're going to beat this. And we are like an end is coming one day. We will get through this uh, and it's coming sooner than we think. But yet maybe what we could do that would be most helpful is to lay down these narratives of overcoming, just get through. And we could talk to one another about how we're transforming. We could share in actually the loneliness we feel of having going, about going through an exceptional experience. And we could just say like, hey, I'm in the car accident too. I'm not, I'm not beyond this. I'm not above this. I'm being affected as well. And we could share in the solidarity of going through exceptional experiences. 
I remember in my uh, late 20s, when I was deciding to become a full-time artist, I had uh, started to feel this like call and this invitation. And I was actually a high school teacher, and I left uh, teaching high school to pursue art as much as I could. I mean, I, I kept a job waiting tables, which is like every artist, you know. I've, I've actually been a professional waiter maybe longer than an artist, you know, that's just like my job. And sometimes in my greatest doubts, I'm like, I should go back to waiting tables. At least I knew I was good at that. There you go. There's an invitation to me. But uh, at this time, I, I quit teaching and I waited tables. But within 10 months, I was actually uh, having to turn down art jobs because I couldn't get my shifts covered at this restaurant. And so what that all of a sudden started coming up was like, well, I think I need to like quit my waiting tables job to pursue, per, uh, to pursue this full-time art job. And being a full-time artist... What? That seems impossible. Like, how could you possibly make a living by being a full-time artist? This is what adults ask you when you sign up to go to art school, all right? This is the question they ask you. How would you make a living doing that? I still get asked this question on airplanes when we used to do that. <laughs> and so what I had to do in this particular conversation is I went and found other artists who had gone through this. I didn't really know very many visual artists at the time, but I knew a lot of musicians. And so I went to a couple friends of mine who were musicians, who were full-time musicians, and I said, how did you make the move from part-time musician to full-time musician? Like part-time artist to full-time artist. And each one of them had their own unique stories and how they did that. But they had the same conclusion, which was like, look, you just get to the spot where you have to take a step of faith. You trust the signs along the way, and you, you have to trust the invitation that it's going to take care of itself. You need to take a leap of faith. And this moment reminds me of the Magi. You know, the Magi, the three kings in this story. Not necessarily three. We don't know that. But the Magi, the running theory about who the Magi were is that they were this, like, upper-class celebrity, stargazing, uh, like pr priesthood based in Persia, um, in Babylon, they would have been familiar with this prophecy of this like God as man, baby coming into the world as a king because of the Israelites who were enslaved hundreds of years before. And so uh, when they saw a star in the sky, which could have been a supernova or a collection of planets uh, that are, were together in the right time and right place, or just good old fashioned, you know, supernatural manifestation, they saw the signs and they went on a journey. And their, uh, who, their identities will probably remain a mystery until the end of time. But what they give us is two great things. One, a really catchy song uh, that has a great hook. And then two, they give us a good example of what it means to pay attention. Because they were paying attention. Not only to the patterns that were revealed in the exterior world, like the sun and the stars and the landscape, but they were paying attention to how those patterns, those exterior patterns, illuminated the interior patterns that they found within them. Like, uh, it was not necessarily, like, their truly transformational journey, or their, the truth of their journey, what's transformational uh, for us, is that God places patterns inside of us that will be revealed through the patterns outside of us. Like, was the deep desire of the Magi to go on a road trip? I mean, don't get, get me wrong. They probably had some really fun times. But re remember, there was no cruise control or AC back then. It was just like desert heat and camel humps. Like, the deep desire of the Magi is that they wanted to know God. 
They wanted to know who the creator of all of this is. And they trusted the creator to reveal the interior journey of the soul in the exterior world around them. They wanted, they wanted to know God and they moved from observation to participation to know that God. Like they were willing to go, like there was no promise of traveling hundreds of miles in unknown, unknown territory that they were actually going to find this newborn king, but they trusted the signs and they trusted the patterns and they trusted the process that if they said yes to it, it would maybe happen. Is it too fantastical to think that the God who gave you your life and who gave us all of this wouldn't use the outside and the inside to bring you to a deeper knowing? Like, are we not told that to look for birds and uh, like the birds of the air that it would re and, and flowers in the field that it would reveal a provider who's watching over us? Are we not told that when we gave water to somebody who's thirsty or food to somebody who's hungry, that that was actually doing it to the king of kings itself? Have you never found yourself in your life going, I don't know what's happening right now, but it feels like something's trying to get my attention. Elizabeth, this older woman who's now pregnant, has Mary enter her home and she says, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's surprised. She's saying, look, I assumed I was never going to have kids and now I'm pregnant. I assumed that I would be just kind of like a meek nobody, but now the king of kings mom is standing in my house and the baby inside of me is leaping for joy. Like I assumed that I wasn't uh, gonna be a part of this and I'm not in charge of it, but it's happening to me. And she says to Mary, she says, blessed is the woman who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Like blessed is the one who steps out and trusts what's seemingly impossible, who trusts the patterns revealing an invitation. The day I was like driving to work to put in my two weeks to quit waiting tables and pursue being an artist full time. It's like all of creation was announcing <laughs> that I was doing the right thing. Like there were billboards, this is in Seattle, there were billboards for like airlines and new condo builds and they were all like, take a leap, go on a journey, try something new, right? Like on the radio, Tom Petty's, uh, it's time to move on, it's time to get going from uh, the Wildflowers album was on. Even like the geese in the air who were migrating down south were exclaiming something is going to change. It's time for a change. The exterior patterns pointed to the interior pattern that I had been paying attention to. So blessed is the one who believes. And, and here's the thing, the antidote to our assumptions is surprise. It's surprise that life can come through barren places. It's a surprise that meek nobodies partake in divine plans. It's a surprise that messengers are sent all along the hidden journey of life to let you know you're not alone. It's a surprise that you will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. It's a surprise that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from love. Your assumptions believe there must be something that can, but surprise, nothing can. 
And that is our greatest hurdle as people, is believing that we, is a believing and assuming that we can be separated from God's love. And so in closing, I want to give you two practices, patterns, signs that you can pay attention to to let you know that nothing can separate you from God. I want to give you an example of spirit and an example of body. So spirit. Somehow, inside of you, in your own being, you have a portal, a doorway. We could use uh, the metaphor of a telephone to talk to God. Somehow you can, without words, you're able to communicate with the divine. I'm not sure how this happens. I'm not sure like what the conduit of the soul to the spirit does, but you've recognized this. You've probably experienced this talking, this conversation. Did somebody along your life journey give you that telephone? Did you go to a shop or a store or a sanctuary and all of a sudden like somebody placed a telephone in you? Or was there a moment where you became aware, awakened to the fact that you already had this telephone, that it was already in there, that it was, in a way, something you never were asked to have or given? It was a grace. It was just always there. So you've always had this way to talk to God. There's never been something in the way. You can't, you can ignore it. You can cover it up. You can fill your life with fear and ego and busyness and never pay attention to it, but you can never get rid of it. Isn't that interesting? You have something inside of you that you can never get rid of that allows you to talk to God. And side note, if I have a telephone and you have a telephone and everybody here has a telephone and everybody has a telephone, what is, our, what is our role then? Do we go around and be like, I've got to bring this telephone to the nations? <laughs> is that our job? Or is it to come alongside others and go, hey, what are your phone calls like? Do you answer the call? Have you had conversations? What is it like for you? Like we can't bring telephones to people, but we can surely call them out and help be alongside others in that solidarity of we all have a telephone. So then, so spirit, telephone, second one is your body. If you can, through your sweatpants or pajamas, or maybe you're shirtless, and I don't want that visual, but find your heartbeat. Can you find your heartbeat? It's like here in your rib cage. Sometimes here in your neck is a good one, or on your wrist. And if you can't find your heartbeat, well, you might be a zombie, okay? But find your heartbeat. And when you found it, can you just sit with it for like just a moment? And you can do this after you're done watching this. But again, when did you go get your heart? Did you go to a store or a shop or a sanctuary to go get it? Or it was always, it's always been in there. In fact, your heartbeat is what is keeping you alive right now. And it's nothing that you're in charge of. You're only here by something you're not in charge of, which you could say is a grace as well. So much of your life, your existence is about, <laughs> is about something you're not in charge of. 
And you could take it further. You could get your heartbeat. You could think about your breathing. You can control your breathing, but it happens on its own. You could even take it farther, like the way our planet is situated around a sun allows for life to happen. There's so many things that are keeping you alive that you're not in charge of. There are so many graces in your life that have been freely given. So when we think that we can be separated from God's love, remember, you have a telephone and you have a heart. You are already given those things. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Your assumptions sometimes think they can, but surprise, nothing can.